This is CliffCentral.com. What a way to start today. I'm Pume Mashekho and you're listening to Womanda. As always, we have fascinating women. We have awesome women. We have great stories to tell on Womanda about women. And that magnificent voice, it's called Today's the Day, is by a rather interesting personality. She goes by the name of Black Porcelain and she's our guest today. If you want to get in touch with me and with her, you can Skype us. You can Skype us. No, WeChat us, instant message us into screen. Um, there are lots and lots of ways of getting hold of us. We're at cliffcentral.com and I'm Pumi Mashaho One. And good morning. Am I having a technical problem? No. No, I'm not. Hi. Hi. No, no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Are you? Oh, How are oh, you? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So I'm trying to to introduce you, but you've got so many alter egos. I then didn't know which one of the names. You've got a, quite a trinity going. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself with the, the personality <laughs> I'm talking with today. Okay. Well, my government name is Komoto Carol Mashiro. Um As a singer, I'm known as Black Porcelain. And as an author, I'm Mohale Mashiro. So, Justin J, it disclaimer. She's a sister, but she's not my sister. <laughs> I just want to just make sure everybody knows this is not some kind of like convoluted twist to get my family members onto the show, though I'd love to. So, Homozo, Carol, Mohale, Black Porcelain, those mm-hmm. are a lot of personalities you're carrying there and before I talk about the book before I talk about them the the music maybe a little bit about the girl from Mapetla who now lives in Cape Town okay well (laughs) tell me tell me about tell me a little bit about this journey tell me a little bit about this journey I mean as I'm looking you up and googling you and and over the past two weeks, I must tell you, you know, how, how I got to talk to you is finding you on Facebook because I then couldn't find you any other way. I have come across so many <laughs> different things about this girl. Started out in advertising, wrote a book for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me about the journey, the journey it's taken you to get to where in 2016 you are an award-winning singer-songwriter you on the long list ne? is it the long list or the short list i get lost um with the list um but a fascinating book that's out in the market at the moment as you say all good oh no are your are your builders back on the on the job they're I told them, I said, I will let you know. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Let's talk. And I'm walking. I'm walking to another room, hoping that it won't be so loud. I am so annoyed because they've been building the whole week. And I just asked for an hour of silence. And they're back at it. Walking and talking. Walking and talking. So what you've got is you've got that rare thing where you've got a builder that's actually so committed to finishing a project on time. 
that they, they, they won't take anything from you. I'm going to play another song and I'm going to ask Duncan to, to connect you again because the, the, re, the reception has gone pretty bad. This is also uh, by Mohale or Black Porcelain. It's called Butterflies. So we've got her back on the line. And that's just an extract of out of her book called The Yearning. Hello. Are you back, Carol? Hi. Hey. I am. Okay. I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear us Perfect. perfectly? Yes, so I, I was can. just reading. I, I played Butterflies, which I absolutely am in love with. And I was just reading an extract from The Yearning, both of which are, are two polar opposites when I think about this is one person that's writing this music that's writing this book and that's why I kind of said well you've created quite a trinity quite a trinity of personalities um, in the space but before we talk about the book and before we talk about the music let's chat a little bit about the woman who living in 2016 in Cape Town has so many accolades. You've got a book that everybody is raving about, including Zeke Smdao, who's one of your personal icons of literature. So what was yeah, that journey like? This journey's been crazy. I didn't think I'd get here at all, actually. I, I always had hopes and dreams of being a, a person who creates things, you know, a creator of stories. But, I mean, my parents weren't too crazy about me being a creator to begin with because my dad was convinced I'd be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and there you are, building in your house. Yeah, yeah exactly, building in my house. <laughs> but really, it's, it's been a crazy journey because I, I think I was also in denial about being a creator. So, I mean, I went off and studied journalism. I worked in advertising and I was unhappy in all those spaces until I was actually living my authentic life, you know, my as my authentic self. Yeah. And the life you live today, is it what you always thought it would be when, you, when you're living your perfect life? You know, it's so interesting because when you, when, you, when you dream about something, in the dream you don't think about the challenges, how it will infringe on some of, like, your precious moments. Like, I didn't think my life would be like this. I had no way of imagining the, the scope of of change that would happen in my life once I started, you know, doing the things that got me here. Speaking about the things um, that you do and your life, I know you're very passionate about children, and if you weren't being a creator, you would be a teacher. Yeah, when I was little, my favorite game to play was school, school, as I called it, and I'd put my teddy bears out and I'd teach them sums. I've always wanted to be a teacher, uh, but unfortunately, in one lifetime, you can only be a few things, and teacher just isn't one of them. I mean, I volunteer for the Shine Center, so I do get to work with children, but I'm just very passionate about teaching. And the life of an artist. So your dad thought you'd be homeless and a pauper because that's what South Africans, that's that's just the, the reality that we know in South Africa of of really the kind of lifestyle that artists can have, that, that writers, yeah. that musicians, and you do both. <laughs> what has been the hardest learning for you as an individual being this creative person in, in the volatile system of art creation in South Africa? 
You know, it's so weird. It's something that I didn't think I'd have to learn. But I, in the past few years, I've learned that I have to survive capitalism. I actually, I have to eat. I, I have to keep the lights on. <laughs> I can't just create and jail all day. And that's, I've had to learn the business side of my creativity. Mm. You know, I've had to get creative with making money. And I'm better for it. I'm better for it. I mean, when I was younger, I had all these, you know, idealistic views on, I'm just going to create. I don't need money. But I do. I do. I need money. I need to service my car. I need to eat. <laughs> you know, you, you say that. And because when I was speaking with your manager trying to organize this interview, and she said to me, you know, she does have a day job. I was so upset <laughs> until I found out that your day job is being a DJ. <laughs> I was proper upset. I was like, what? <laughs> this country, you know, it's like, and then, and I thought, oh, but you know, that is so smart because not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people. And, and so when you say you, you realize that you had to survive capitalism, it's quite a fascinating way of looking at it. I just think that there are people out there who tell, you know, uh, who tell the kids, if you want to be a DJ, you know, quit everything, don't go to university, don't. I'm like, no, 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 don't lie to the kids. We don't live in a society where every DJ is black coffee. We don't live in a society where every presenter is bonang. Do you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I mean, you can do what you love, but be smart because you can't create when you're hungry. Does that you piss you off? Does it piss you off that we live in a country where you can't live and survive and prosper off your creativity? You know, if I knew anything different, I think it would piss me off. But I've always known this about my country. So maybe if I came from a situation where I was living, you know, just as a writer and as a singer, and then I came here, I'd be pissed off. But I don't know any difference. This is the situation. Mm. Shoot, that's a that's a very real and hard way of looking at it. Which then makes me think about your book. You know, mm-hmm. reading about, how do I say her name? Marubini. Yes, Marubin. Because I went looking for it. I went, this is an interesting name. And I went looking for it. And the meaning of the Chivenda name was so deep and fascinating. And I wondered, how did you come to this story? You know, this book has been 10 years in the making. And what it was in 2006 when I started writing it and what it is now it's almost like a completely different story. I, I don't know how I got here. I know people always ask me this, and this answer doesn't seem to satisfy them. I don't know how I got to where the book is now, but I think it was something I needed to get off my chest, and I didn't know it until I'd written it. Mm. I love... So I love what, what um, Brazek Zimda wrote about it and about the voice. Um and then when I found out that you actually started writing after you, when you were 19, had read Ways of Dying, what was that like? What is that kind of validation of having the one person who sparked the idea in you that you could write have such a fantastic thing to say about your book and about your literary voice? What does that feel like? I wish I could explain it, but honestly, like, Zakes and I are friends now, and I always, I always say to my best friend, like, Zakes, my, my friend, is that? Zakes the writer. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, 
Okay, like Zakes and I are friends. That's nice. <laughs> we jokingly call each other BFF, you know. I mean, I'm I'm so fond of him. He's just the best kind of friend to have, actually. He's very sweet and very funny. But when when I first became friends with him, I said to my best friend, I'm not sure I'm friends with Zakes and Zah, the writer, like the entity. I don't think I'll ever be friends with that person because I respect them so much. I think I'm I'm friends with the person behind the writer. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense for a person like you who chose to have a different persona even. You know, you chose a, a completely different pen name. I love the fact that you took your mother's maiden name and your, your surname and you made a pen name out of it. Mm. Why did you feel you needed a different persona or voice from Carol and from Black Porcelain for the writing? Well, I mean, you know, I'm so used to living with people with different names, actually. You know, like Kokasi. You know, you'll never just be whoever. You'll always be somebody in Banjero. You know, you, you've got so many names and different hoods, and even your demeanor in those different hoods and situations is different. So I think it just came naturally for me to want to make my my the singer part of myself, you know, something else and the writer part of myself named them something else. I just think I come from a place where we have many names. Mm. And do they converge? Do those three people or personas converge at any point ever? I think when I'm sleeping. (laughs) 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 So you must have crazy dreams if you dream as all three. Yeah, look, I, <laughs> I, I, I have moments where I, I get off stage and, and people say to me, you're so different on stage. And I say, yeah, well, that's because that was black porcelain. And I've just walked off stage and now, you know, Carol has taken over. And I think as a writer as well, my friends were surprised at how dark Mohale Mashiha is. And I was saying, yeah, imagine if I was that dark all the time. I wouldn't have any friends. So I think it's, it's outlets, different outlets for me. Mm. And... You know, when you, when you talk about the different outlets and the, the book itself, let's chat a little bit about the book itself. So the book is quite an intense experience. Did you, was it an intense experience writing it? I know you talk about how you tried to like, you, 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 um, procrastinated from writing the difficult and ugly parts, but was it like, this intense for you, as it is for the you know, reader, do you think? I don't know because I, I'm not, I haven't read it since it's been published, but so I can't what? say as a reader, but <laughs> no, I haven't read it since it's been published. <laughs> but I, I don't know for the reader, but I will say writing is fun for me. Um, the only difficult parts, I think, were the, 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 you know, the really dark and ugly parts. What was difficult in the process was editing. Nobody ever told me that editing would feel like being personally insulted, because that's what it felt like. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just, I didn't know it would be like that. I felt so attacked. I felt like I was being cut open and, you know, people were looking at my intestines and saying, oh, your long intestine is too long. Your pancreas, we don't need it. Your liver could be a little lighter. That's what editing felt like for me. You know, I often have this conversation because being in the, the space of media and, and advertising, I have a lot of people that are creative 
friends. And I'm often saying to clients that one of the things about being a creative is you you create this thing. It's like giving birth to this thing that you love, absolutely love. And then you have to present it to people who all have an opinion. You know they're going to have an opinion, but it's still quite like hurtful. It's like people poking and prodding your baby. So oh, I, absolutely. That's what it felt like. Wow. And and at the end, did you feel? At the end, did you feel look, at the end of the process? At the end of, I know it wasn't every day writing for ten years, but at the end of ten years and having this finished thing and the artwork of the cover and. It launched and gone. Did it? What did that feel like? I have to be honest. It's something that I've come to terms with in the past few in the past few days. I feel a great loss, actually. A loss. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It's like I spent ten years creating this thing, and it belonged to me wholly because there wasn't anyone involved. And as soon as the editing started, it's it's kind of like having your child leave home. You know, they're they're not your baby anymore. The yearning doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to other people, and I feel I feel lost. Wow! So, are you writing a new one? <laughs> that question. <laughs> I am. Um, I actually started writing this new one also a couple of years ago, and now I'm revisiting it and going, "Oh, okay. No, there's good bones here. I'll put some meat on it, and I'll color it, and we'll see what what becomes of it." So, talk to me. I'm, so I'm talking to Muhale, the writer now, <laughs> about you, <laughs> just to be sure. I feel like I'm in a seance. Um, to The creative process for you, as you're writing, so a couple of years ago, you start a new book. Are you one of those multi-writers? You, you're writing as you're writing, or do you sit down and like churn it all out? And then leave it alone. And as I like to say, stand up and walk away from the ideas to come up with more ideas, you know, to release the ideas and then come back to it. What's the process for you? Uh, no, I'm, I lack discipline and I'm manic. So I don't just sit down and start writing and I'm, you know, I'm just working at it. No, I'm always working on different things. Like now I'm writing a short story right now, but I'm also trying to, you know, get back to what should be the second novel. I don't have I don't have a process. I like discipline, so no, I don't just sit down and do the thing. So, for for the listener who's wondering about this Muhale and this book, The Yearning, what is your your succinct? So, I read a little bit of the the one thing that I see everywhere, every time you you look for it, and and when I started reading the book as well, um, which. I thought I was going to finish last night, but I'm not finished yet. So I don't want to talk about that. Okay. But okay. I, <laughs> I, I, I was so drawn to, to Nkhonune and, and thought, Oh, this is, you know, and then every, with every character. And of course, you know, Marubini, you're, you're so emotionally invested with her. Um, but what would you to tell our listener? what the book is about without giving away too much. What What is your succinct praise? What what kind of, what did they used to call it? Book reports. I mean, if you were to give a quick book report. Oh, okay. Book report. Mm. I was also bad at those because I didn't do homework. But let me try now. <laughs> what, what would be, what would be your, your one paragraph of 
this book and what they can expect? Uh, well, I suppose the yearning is firstly a story about Marubini, who when you meet her, you think she's got the perfect life, perfect boyfriend, perfect job. And then as you get to know her, you start to feel like she's she's dealing with something that she's not ready to. It's a book about God. It's a book about healing and secrets. That's what it is. I loved the, the one thing I read in in a magazine a couple of weeks ago about South Africa and, and unfinished stories. When you think about the untold stories in South Africa and the unfinished story of South Africa, what would you say is the central theme that we deal with all the time? You know, I was saying to somebody, I don't remember who I was saying, we, we bury so many people in South Africa and not necessarily with with their names attached. I think that the theme, the central theme in all of our untold stories is burial. And some of it is like um, your murderer burying you and it's your parents burying your past and it's, it's you burying yourself in, in, in your work. We do a lot of burying in this country. And I think that's the central theme. And I'm so scared that we've buried all of our heroes and we're, we're, we're going to bury all of our stories if we don't tell our stories, you know. What's your ultimate? So this is a, a fiction book. As you go to, ev- almost everybody asks you, right? And you you keep reiterating that this is fiction. It is n- there's nothing that's the same between me and her. Um, <laughs> is fiction your love, or are you also just talking about burying our heroes and telling our stories? Um, is fiction the only? writing type you're ever going to do or do you ever think that you're going to write some kind of history book oh my gosh you know what you're the second person to ask me that i don't know what it is about me that makes me sound like i would ever write nonfiction. i don't i don't feel like i i have the, the the ability but maybe i will maybe i will two people have said this to me already maybe there is some nonfiction in my future but right now, I'm firmly stuck in, in fiction. I think it's the name Marubini, which is very prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. You know, that was that was my aunt's name. And, wow. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of... I collect beautiful names. I just collect names and I write them down in their meanings. And I think I always save these names for my characters. Sure, because it it was it was a very powerful name, and that one I'd never heard ever before, and it took me a couple of times of reading it. I found it on a website called South African Languages. It took yeah. me a couple of times of to try and understand what it meant about the place where our family was, and when I actually went to go look it up was was after I was reading in the book, and Nkono said I should have never given you this name, and I thought, Hunter, what does this name actually mean? Well, and and it's in that moment that that it it really all opened up for me. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful, and I think that the the central story of it of the haunting, or the yearning, I suppose it's the yearning more than the haunting, um, really connects wonderfully. And I always love reading about strong female characters. I love reading about the flawed South African women. Because I think that's the the one character that is so under um, investigated, you know, in in life, in almost everything that we hear. You know, there's there's a strong black woman, and then there's but then there's the real black woman, and we don't really ever get to 
ever get to to unearth her and learn about her and get to love her and and feel her fears and her pain and and I think you've done an incredible job in putting that together. Which which then also you know the first song I ever heard of yours was the the one with DJ Zintle on SoundCloud. <laughs> yes, the the DJ Zintle remix of Butterflies. Yeah, and I thought how Langoma. When I initially thought. I wonder who's this girl because it sounded all foreign. The the voice sounded quite like, and I thought how Zinta Utolan these wonderful things when as she's then, and then as I then got to to hear the other ones, and I really love the show, the song I started the day with. Um, today's the day. I really really love that song because it kind of reminds me, and I know I'm not the first person to say this. It reminds me of a young Nina Simone, um, but it also reminds me of a. African um, Tracy Chapman. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's quite a compliment. Who are your musical influences? Wow, who are my musical influences? I think the question should be who isn't. I mean, it, you know, I grew <laughs> up in. No, really, it's it, it's a, it's a very interesting question because I grew up around so many. So my father used to work at the record library at the SABC. Oh, wow. Yeah, and when I was a kid, um, he picked me up from school, and then I'd just be like spending time there. And to keep me to keep me busy, he'd play music for me. And I, I used to listen to all kinds of music. And at home, also we had access to all kinds of LPs and records. So I mean, my 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 influences are wide and varied, and I probably don't know that I don't know many of them because you know I was a kid when I started listening to all this different music. So who isn't an influence? Sure, and you managed to be a what do they call it? Independent musician, mm-hmm. and you got your music playlisted on thirty six different stations before you won your first award. You got to tell me how that went down. Are you just the world's most persistent person? <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, I think this happened because Saudi didn't have ninety percent happening there at SABC because. <laughs> My journey would have been easier, but <laughs> there was no ninety percent then when I started. More now, we but, are that ninety percent. At the beginning, I was just like, <laughs> I ain't sure about this, and then I started thinking about everybody that I know that's a musician, and I was like, Ah, I should SMS people and tell them you must get your CDs, put them in a box, go walk around at the SAPC. You know, give everybody, no, I hope you've done that, like give everybody a copy of your CD and highlight the ones that you think are appropriate for their particular station. I must admit I haven't, but that's because of my journey, you know. So you say um, I'm playlisted in 36 countries and it's because South African radio stations just weren't feeling my music. So um, my manager and I were sitting with, okay, well, we've spent money making music people need to hear it. And I was reading a travel story on Croatia, and she said, where do you think we should start? I mean, there's a market for everything, even if it's not in South Africa. And I looked up at her and I said, well, I'm reading a travel story about Croatia. Let's start there. So it was Croatia, then it was Greece, then it was Germany, and it's just a bunch of radio stations in 36 countries. And maybe it's time to, to start sampling home now that 90% is a thing. Now that 90% is here. So... And have you performed in any of these countries? How do people um, react or respond to your music? 
Well, look, the, the performing is something that as an independent artist, I simply can't do. I mean, I'd love to, you know, travel to 36 countries, but hey, Nyugu, I just don't have the Nyugu just to be traveling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you need a blesser, girl. I need a blesser, and that blesser, they must, must please contact me, contact me, boo, I want to travel. Um, but the reaction to the music has been incredible. I just, I, I never expected it. It's kind of like I have low self-esteem. I create things and then when people like them, I'm like, huh? Why? How? How? Yeah, so it's, it's nice that people, you know, listen to my music and they, they download it and they, a friend of mine told me a crazy story. He was in Germany, in uh, Berlin, and he was at a restaurant and they were playing my song and he was just watching people Shazam the song so that they could download it. And I thought, okay, that's nice. That's nice. I, I can live with that. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. In, you, need a, you need a crowdsource. You, you need to crowdfund um, at least one tour to Germany. And in Germany, you'll always find a blesser. They love the black chocolate out there. <laughs> they love dark chocolate out there. I'm just saying. FYI. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, let, I'll let you know if the rumors are true about them liking dark chocolate. I will let you it's know. It's not a rumor. It, at least I'm not speaking of it as a rumor. I'm just saying, FYI. <laughs> just putting it Why out are there. So spicy? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you so spicy? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I must, this is moment to shout out. Your manager... So, you must tell me, who's the two witches? Because when I got the thing and it said two witches, and I thought, yo, two witches, okay. And then, <laughs> then I, I tried to like Google, and because I thought, oh, it must be some kind of PR company. And I tried to Google it, and I, I didn't get anywhere. But Marsha's amazing. This is my shout out to Marsha. So tell me about your relationship with your manager, because the two of you must work very closely together and work very hard to have achieved all that you've achieved. Well, Amasia, I met her when I was 13, my first day of high school, and she's believed in me more than anyone in the world. So um, I moved to Cape Town, and a year later she moved here, and then she said, you know, I've always thought you could do this singing thing for real. Let's do it. And she's kind of just hustled. And uh, I think I had just read The Alchemist, uh, and I said, oh, turning lead into gold, maybe that's what we do. And then she said, yeah, we're like two witches. We turn lead into gold. And that's, that's what our label's called. And yeah, we're the two witches. So uh, I'm glad you said you met in high school because I then thought, Tori, who are these girls in 2016? <laughs> Carol and Marsha. And I thought it must, be, it must be a thing from, from back in the day before, the, before they were free. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. I've always been free. My dad gave me that name, Carol, with so much love. I, I don't have beef with the name, Carol. <laughs> yeah, but look, I've known Mark for a very, very long time, um, and she's one of the most patient, hardworking, and, and just focused people that I know. I'm, I'm lucky to have, to have a manager like her. And I think that the magic between the two of you completely translates because even as I'm setting up and sending her messages and 
it has been a, a completely, and, and I want you to know, even as I then wish you all this luck with your careers, careers, I'm, I'm clear that you have the, the, the right kind of support. And it's amazing to see two women work with each other in that way. And, and you can feel the, the love. When you can feel the love and admiration, 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 sometimes. The admiration, no, go with it. That's wonderful. I want to see you in your next book, name, just J, and aside. But I, I really, and even just listening to the music that you're writing, and reading about the person that you are, and reading the book, the the personalities flow. All three of them. As that's why I said it's a trinity, not because your book has so much like religious connotations, but because I I I could feel that each one of those personalities have their own magic in them, and they bring something to the whole. And it's it's quite a, a fabulous thing to to envisage and watch and and see this and I'm really so excited for the future if we have more women like you. Thank you so much. You know what you said about you know, having uh, women working together. I've been so lucky to have found uh, just a, a circle of sisterhood. I like to call it a coven because I'm so obsessed with being a witch, but I just What's up so with that? <laughs> I have I have no idea, honestly. I think I need to write a book about witches and get it out of my system. Okay. Um, but you must you must surround yourself with, with women. It, 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 it's so warm. It's so beautiful. And when it's genuine, it, 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 can, it builds you. And that's what's happened to me. The women around me have just built me and supported me and, and love me. And what is the next... I hope it doesn't take you another 10 years ne, to write another book. I'm just putting that one out there too because people have ex- people have expectations out here ne? <laughs> you know these books don't just write themselves ne? i need to i need to let it cook but my publishers also said there's no way you're you're taking another 10 years to write a book so i said okay i'll see what about five years oh my goodness <laughs> because you know I'm, I'm, I, and trying, I think- I'm trying I wanted to read, I wanted to read what Zeke Smdar said, um, about your book. And his quote is a bewitching addition to the current South African literary boom. Muhale Masheho tells her story with charming lucidity, disarming characterization, subversive wisdom, and subtle humor. I mean, those things are just magnificent to say. And, and this is what I've always known. Or in my mind, thought if women are allowed to be, this that's this is what they embody. And for for yeah. you know the subversive wisdom. And and that's why I keep asking the questions around what you've learned and what you you know from your journey because the one thing that we always try to do, I think, with even with Womantla, even with every platform, every woman I've ever spoken to that does anything in the space, is always about. Just allowing the next woman the opportunity to to have it blossom in herself, that wisdom that they have, because women are very subverted with the wisdom that they do have. And we're kind of subdued with it too. It's not overt. It's not out there. It's not confident. 
And I think I'm I'm interested to know how you found your confidence in in the time that it took you to get this book out. How did you find your confidence to be able to 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 go with the flow as the book was changing and finding its new path and its new form? How did you find the confidence within yourself to say I'm okay with this? Um, I think okay. So I suffer from very terrible anxiety and depression, and when I write, it rears its ugly head. So you know, there's the voice. There's always the voice. You're so bad. This is a shit book. People are going to know you're bad. And I think for me, it's learning to live with the fear. The fear never goes away. The anxiety never goes away. I needed to learn to live with it because I spent my younger years trying to get rid of it. I spent I spent my younger years fighting with myself as opposed to just accepting that the fear and the anxiety are there, but I still have to do the thing. So learning to live with the fear and anxiety, surprisingly, is what made me a lot more confident than I've ever been. And the person you are, the woman you are today, to the woman you are when you started writing the book, are you different? I am. Maybe I've been five different women since then. Wow. I'm I'm a new person. I just, I wish I could leave, I wish I could time travel and go back to who I was when I started writing so I could leave myself kind little notes saying, you're okay. You're doing well. Everything is going to be okay. I wish I was a little kinder to myself. So you've won music awards. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your wishes for your book in terms of winnings? Do you have any? Oh, gosh. Do you know, I've, I, I, my friends always tell me I've got such low self-esteem. My one wish for the book was that I sell 100 copies and then I can rest. And I've apparently sold more than 100 copies, a little more than 100. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm chilling, I'm chilling. I did the thing that I wanted to do. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. And when you when you were writing it, I have a, a, a friend who's also a writer. And, and his thing was, I'm writing this book so I can get in the door. <laughs> you know, he, he sells. So he was like, I want to get in the door. And at least if you've got a book, you can say to people, I wrote this book. And then, you know, you send them the copy of the book and then they want to meet you. So <laughs> what was your your wish when you eventually published the book? I mean, there are a lot of people who write every day, but never publish because they, whatever, too too shy, too scared. To, but you published your book. What was your your ultimate wish with publishing it, what would it do for you? Not for the book, but for you as Carol, what does the book do for you? So when I when I first started writing the book, I wrote it because I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read. So when I wrote it, I wrote it for myself. And then when I finished it, I thought, gosh, this is a book that I wanted to read. And now that I've written it, I hope that somebody will read the book and find themselves in the book. Even in small ways. That's all I want. Representation matters. <laughs> Representation matters. And, and the voices matter. So, M- M- Zakes alludes to a boom that's happening in the literary industry of South Africa. And there's there's been a lot of talk about how publishing in South Africa, and you're with quite a big publisher, but how publishing in South Africa is under-transformed. How... Mm-hmm book festivals in South Africa are underrepresenting how reading and writing is such an elite thing. Yeah. 
is this is this a fight you're getting into or well, are you, you just know, gonna I, like let your book do its talking no it's so interesting because this is my first rodeo so i went to the front literary fest for the first time and I, look, I noticed there are lots of old white people here. Not that there's anything wrong with old white people, but I also noticed that I could see some black writers. You know, they, they were doing interesting things. And then I'm I'm a, a guest author for the Josie Book Fair. And for me, that's a book fair I'm excited about. It's important for me to be involved in, you know, the, the literary fest. But this book fair, it's a grassroots book fair, and I, I'm going to be teaching kids about telling stories. And I'm, I'm trying to get involved in different ways. I'm trying to get involved with book clubs in townships, you know, because I guess I could complain, but I also want to know how I can be creative about making the changes. Wow. And so being speaking of being creative about making the changes, I think the one way that a lot of black people were exposed to stories and storytelling was, you know, by our grandmothers telling us stories. And my favorite um, storyteller, contemporary storyteller is still Dunam Shope, who you can't see anywhere in the country because she's like booked out all over the world. Um, amazing, amazing, <laughs> amazing. I love her. I, yeah, I completely, completely love her. And so I guess I'm wondering, as a musical performer and now published author, is there ever a chance in the future that you could combine the two? and perform wow. storytelling? You know, I feel like my music, my, my songs are all stories. You know, I like to think of myself as a storyteller regardless of what I do. So my songs are all little stories. But I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down and I'm going to put it in the wish list. Hala, my sister, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> I am picking up what you're putting down. I hear you. I hear you. Let me work on that. Oh, please. And invite us. When you become world famous, when you're all over the world and like um, telling stories all over the world and singing and traveling in places like Berlin and all that, please don't forget about us. You heard it here first on Womandla. I will never forget about you. We have the same surname. You're my sister. Muhale, <laughs> <laughs> this has been... So Muhale Mashekho is the author of The Yearning, which you can find at every good bookstore and you can also find it online, published by Pan Macmillan. A fascinating read about an incredible... About an incredible South African... I'm I'm so like... I, I want to say girl, but I'm going to say woman. I'm going to say okay. woman. But when I when I was reading it, I was like, hey, this sister, I get this sister. It completely, yeah, she, she, it was amazing. The book really resonated even with me. And not just because I'm also from Soweto. <laughs> so it really resonated with me. But she is also the musical genius behind the fabulous voice uh, of Black Porcelain. And you can get her on social media. Can I want your social media handles? Black B L C K Porcelain. Yes. On mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, and uh, must I punch your other radio station? I'm not punching your other radio station. Because when I looked at that radio station and I saw all those old white people, I was just like, ah, this girl, <laughs> this girl. You know, you can always come home to Cliff Central, okay? You can always come home to Cliff Central. Why are you so spicy? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I love you and good luck with your book. I love you and good luck with your book and good luck with your music. Thank you for coming on and sharing this fascinating story of who you are with us and we'll be watching you very eagerly. Um, so this conversation has been so amazing. I even forgot to play an ad. So I have to say goodbye to you now. Thank you for coming on air and thank you for stopping your builders, okay? Thank you, and I'm so sorry about the builders. I see they're back at it. Hey, Papa, People are out here working, <laughs> doing some work. Thank you very much for coming on. Have a good day, and good luck for the future, ma'am. Business leaders around the globe are committing to building a better world for everyone. CliffCentral.com is joining forces with the Sympathy Sleepout, taking a stand for the plight of the homeless. We invite you to participate with us in the Sympathy Sleepout on the 28th of July, 2016. Join the ranks of leaders of change by using your influence for what truly matters. Sign up now for the Sympathy Sleepout on www.theceosleepoutza.co.za. That's theceosleepoutza.co.za. Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com. I'm Pumi Mashoko and I've been keeping it real with Carol Mashoko, who's not my sister. I see these boys on the other side looking at me, but she is a sister and she is fabulous. Check out her music. She's on SoundCloud, Black Porcelain. This is cliffcentral.com.